Hello, my name is Rachel Barber. I'm a junior at Stanford University and co-principal investigator on the project. This is Infodemic, a Stanford conference on social media and COVID-19 misinformation. Infodemic was a virtual conference that took place on August 26, 2021, in which leaders in public health, medicine, ethics, and social media discussed ways to mitigate the COVID-19 misinformation and disinformation epidemic. This single season podcast will feature all of the infodemic sessions as single episodes. The following is the introduction to the conference and COVID-19 update. Dr. Seema Yasmin served as our host for the day and welcomed everyone to the conference. Dr. Yasmin is an Emmy award-winning journalist, medical contributor to CNN, and director of the Stanford Health Communication Initiative. Dr. Yvonne Maldonado is a professor in the Department of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at the Stanford University School of Medicine and the Senior Associate Dean for Faculty Development and Diversity. Dr. Maldonado provided a COVID-19 update to begin the conference. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. A warm welcome to Infodemic, a Stanford conference on social media and COVID misinformation and disinformation. I'm Dr. Seema Yasmin. I'm director of the Stanford Health Communication Initiative, clinical assistant professor in the Department of Medicine in the Division of Primary Care and Population Health. And I am so excited to be your host during today's Infodemic conference. So on behalf of the entire Infodemic team who've been working tirelessly to put together today's agenda, a warm welcome to you. Before we get started with our fantastic lineup of speakers and roundtable discussions, first off, I want you to know that our conference hashtag is Stanford Infodemic. The fact that we are in an infodemic, or I would call it a misinfodemic, is no big news to us. It's been a dominant feature of the pandemic for the last almost two years. Rachel very eloquently stated what an infodemic was, and she shared, of course, the CDC's definition of an infodemic. However, I think it's really important to start the day by talking about how public health institutions, both domestic and international, have neglected the threat, the public health threat that the spread of false information poses. And I can say this because I used to work at the CDC and it was that neglect about the public health threat of false information that led me to eventually leave the CDC and train as a journalist and also to do research about the spread of misinformation and disinformation as it relates to health and science, and to really investigate how false information has been and continues to unravel significant gains that we have made in public health. So I want to share that because for so many of us and many of the voices that you'll hear throughout the day, we've been working on these topics for sometimes a decade, sometimes longer than that, having been told in frustrated times by public health officials at many of these organizations that we perhaps were over-exaggerating or overstating the threat that false information posed to public health. And unfortunately, here we are in a pandemic where we are seeing that there's not just spread of a pathogen, but there's the concurrent spread of misinformation and disinformation about the pathogen that is spreading in tandem and is really fueling the spread of the pandemic. With that said, we will now be joined by our first speaker of the day, who will set the scene in terms of giving us a really thorough and comprehensive COVID-19 update. 
Our first invited speaker is Dr. Bonnie Maldonado, a professor in the Department of Pediatric Infectious Disease and Senior Associate Dean for Faculty Development and Diversity right here at Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Maldonado's Pediatric Infectious Disease Research Group at Stanford Medicine is involved in a really broad variety of local and international epidemiological and prevention activities focusing on disease areas including HIV AIDS, polio, vaccines, and of course, COVID-19. Welcome, Dr. Maldonado. Thanks to all of you for listening today. And I also trained at the CDC, and it's unfortunate to hear the message that uh, Dr. Yasmin received from CDC, because I work constantly with my colleagues at CDC whom I trained with and who are now leadership. And they actually now do acknowledge the impact of misinformation, but it's very hard for them within the constraints of their agencies to try to do the work that you all are doing. So I think we should partner with public health and not dissociate ourselves from them because they are critical and we need to build that public health infrastructure. So I just wanted to advocate for that partnership. It's critical for us to get through not only this pandemic, but all of our public health issues. So today I want to talk a little bit uh, before we start, just to set the stage as you heard, what are the stakes? So I'm going to give you just a brief overview of what the data look like so far and why this is so critical. So this is something that may be familiar to you. This is the Johns Hopkins graphic that you can pull up on the internet. And the Johns Hopkins team at the Center for System Science and Engineering has been looking at the pandemic since the very beginning. And you can see that they can track by country, by region, or globally. And that we've seen over 210, 213 million cases now documented with almost four and a half million deaths. And in a positive note, over 5 million doses of vaccine given. In the U.S., you can see that we are at 38 million plus cases and counting with almost three and a half million deaths. So clearly this is a ravaging pandemic all around the world. Now, if you look at what's going on in the U.S., over the course of the pandemic, we are in basically our fourth wave and hoping to avoid a fifth. But the biggest wave we saw was in our winter time, that is between November and January, November 2020 and January of 2021. But with the rise of the Delta variant and the reduction in masking and distancing mandates, in fact, discouragement of those, even though we are seeing vaccinations, we have seen just since the 1st of July, at least a 700% increase in the seven-day average for cases. So you can see the case rate is going up in the U.S., And if you look at hospitalizations and deaths, fortunately, while they are going up, we are not seeing them rise to the level that we had seen during our terrible winter surge. Although we are surging more than we did last summer, even with the fact that vaccinations are available. I'll talk about that in a bit. Now, if you look overall at the global COVID-19 death rates, this is from our World Mapper website. You can see that virtually all parts of the world have been affected, but our uh, colleagues in Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia have been affected most significantly, but the U.S. has not gone without its uh, impact as well. On the positive note, we have some things that we can work for and advocate for, and that is when we look at global COVID-19 vaccinations, over a third of the world population, which has received at least one dose, and about a quarter is fully vaccinated. So that is some progress with, as I mentioned earlier, about 5 billion doses. I'm sorry, I said million earlier. I meant billion doses have been administered globally with 33 million now being administered each day. However, only 1.4% of people in low-income countries have received at least one dose. 
Now, here in the United States, we have been very fortunate, and I feel like in some ways we're squandering resources that we have. We have administered over 350 million doses of vaccine in the United States, and we see that uh, the population over 65 years old has been highly vaccinated around the U.S., that over 18 is over 60% vaccinated, and even children over 12, almost 60% vaccinated. So we are reaching a decent level. But unfortunately, as you've all heard, the Delta variant is highly transmissible and has really been driving the pandemic, especially among the unvaccinated. And this is really where the misinformation has come in, because while we have a high percentage of people who are listening to the science, listening to our public health experts and others, there is a substantial portion of the population that is not listening to that and are listening instead to these really, I would have to say, wild claims that really defy belief in my view, but clearly not in many others' view, because we are seeing a good 30% of the population overall that are listening to misinformation. And I just want to touch base on a few other issues that I think are really important in driving the pandemic. And this is a book that came out in 2011. It's written by Bill Fagey, who was critical. He's an infectious disease epidemiologist like I am. He wrote this book about the house on fire, the fight to eradicate smallpox. And what one of his Indian colleagues said when they were working on smallpox in India is, if a house is on fire, no one wastes time putting water out on nearby houses just in case the fire spreads. They rush to pour water where it will do most good, on the burning house. We have a burning house now in many, many ways, but one of the burning houses we have is the COVID pandemic, and we need to address that now. We need to douse that fire. We need to really be advocates and active in doing that. And I think his words hold true for many issues, but especially today with this pandemic. And what we're facing as well is a convergence of crisis with simultaneous epidemics. And what are those epidemics? There's social vulnerability and health social determinants of health. Now, if you look at health disparities, the CDC has developed this index that includes 15 different social vulnerability and factors that include socioeconomics, housing, racial and ethnic minorities, and housing and transportation. And you can use that map to basically define areas at risk for poor health outcomes. And nowhere is that more apparent than when you look at the overall social vulnerability of all our 3,008 counties in the U.S. rated by highest vulnerability to lowest. And you can superimpose that map on the number of COVID cases, and you can see that they overlap very well. So we know the areas at risk, although most of the country is facing this disease, these areas will disproportionately affect them. And these have to do with social determinants of health and lack of access to good information. So this has really been a concern. And I think we know how to target the entire U.S., but these are pockets that we can really focus on as well. What are social determinants of health? Things like poverty, frontline jobs, crowded living spaces, crowded public transit, food deserts, inadequate insurance coverage. All of these things lead to higher risk for COVID disease, but also serve to alienate and isolate people from good information and leave them vulnerable to local pockets of misinformation. In addition, infectious diseases in general face issues around health equity, just like every other area. Occupation, housing conditions, poor infrastructure, and chronic illness around the world and in the U.S. can lead to people being disproportionately affected by poor health conditions. 
The New York Times writer here really pointed out that Calcutta, her city of birth, was originally set up for the monsoon season waters to flow into the Ganges River, which flows through the city. But more recent disarrayed planning or lack of planning of housing led to trapping of water so that the monsoon season no longer left the water draining. It left water in pockets around the city so that more waterborne, foodborne, and insectborne diseases could proliferate. So we need to think about planning as well and how information can get out to those places. Access to hand washing around the world, that clearly is associated with vulnerability to diseases, especially COVID. And you can see that there's a big disparity here when you look at no access to hand washing and sociodemographic influence. These are simple, simple steps, but they are critical steps to getting our populations healthy. And if you look at pediatric deaths in particular around the world from COVID, you can see that low and middle income countries have two and a half and more times the risk of deaths than high income countries for many of the reasons that we just outlined. And then when you look at the number of vaccine doses purchased by income level, you can see that overall high income countries represent the majority of percent doses purchased. This is really an inequity that we really need to solve. So finally, I'd like to end by saying we need to reach our marginalized populations in particular, although everybody is a target of misinformation. And there are many ways to do that by using existing community engagement structures, local leaders, community and faith-based organizations, community groups, and health centers. And it's critical, this is what I've been doing my whole career in global health, disseminate transparent and comprehensive information, but working with and not for communities. They know best what their culture is, what their practices are, and we can't go in and tell people what to do. We need to work with them to understand in a human-centered design way what they need and what will work for them. And that's how we can best partner, not only in the U.S., but all around the world. And so what does the future hold? Combination therapies, prevention with the form of vaccines, and non-pharmacological interventions. This is an old slide, but it's still true 18 months later, and it will be true, I would imagine, 18 months from now. And so restoring immunizations next steps, for example, will be just to restore basic services, help health workers communicate, rectify gaps in coverage and immunity, and expand routine services that have been missed out because of the pandemic. And the way forward is using science and equity to conquer the virus and those yet to come scientific and other advocacy collaborations around the world. We have unprecedented use of technology, but it needs to be distributed equally. Equity is critical and preparedness is mandatory. So I'd like to stop there and thank you so much for your attention. Thank you for listening to this session of Infodemic, a Stanford conference on social media and COVID-19 misinformation. We invite you to listen to the other important discussions and presentations that occurred at the conference each available as individual episodes of this podcast. All 10 sessions are archived together. Just search Infodemic on the Academic Life and Emergency Medicine website, aliem.com, or through summer 2022 on our website, stanfordinfodemic.org. A video recording of the entire conference is available on the Stanford Department of Emergency Medicine YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us.